Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today, we're going to discuss Proper 18. Proper 18. Now, we're in the second half of the church season, for those of you that might be joining us for the first time. The season begins with Advent, and Advent is usually in December, and it's the four Sundays preceding Christmas Day, which obviously is a movable day because it's always December 25th. Four weeks in Advent, followed by Christmas, followed by Epiphany, followed by Lent, where we celebrate the coming of Jesus' death, and then the resurrection, which is Easter. Then we celebrate Pentecost and the Sundays after Pentecost. And we call them propers because those are, Pentecost is a movable date also. So we go by the proper name. So we're on proper 18. When we get to the end, it'll be the last Sunday after Pentecost, which we call Christ the King Sunday. We're still quite a ways away from there. Now we're looking at scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have been looking at kings, first and second kings. We have 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd King, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. These are history books. They're telling us about the history of Israel. Now, David was born about 1000 B.C. So David is about 1000 B.C. That should be a good marker, okay? And the Bible ends with Malachi about 400 B.C. All right, and Abraham's about 1800 B.C. To give you a, just a quick overview in terms of time. So in Kings, remember last week we talked about Solomon building God a temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. But then Solomon goes south, his kingdom goes south. The prophet prophesies that it's going to be torn like a cloak, like tearing your cloak. And 10 tribes, remember Israel is divided into 12 tribes. Remember Judges, 12 tribes, 12 areas at each of the... 12 tribes of Israel um, uh, occupy a certain uh, land, a certain uh, amount of land that they have, each are given. And we have 10 to the north and 2 to the south. The north is called Israel, the northern kingdom. The south is called the southern kingdom. And as you work through kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you'll see that the author goes back and forth with the king. The king of the north, king of the south. And then what happens is the prophets come in, the minor prophets and the major prophets. The major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, etc. Through to Malachi, there's 12 of them. And they come and speak in this time frame in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. Okay. We are currently just following the history right now. We're not following the prophets. Now we go to the New Testament reading, two of them, one a gospel and one an epistle. Last week, we looked at the book of James. I hope you enjoyed that. And this week, we're going to look at the book of Philippians, an overview of Philippians. And then in our gospel reading, remember we were uh, at a place where Jesus died on a cross. And now we're going to look at his burial and his resurrection from Mark's perspective. And guess what? We start another gospel, and that gospel is Matthew. And you can see uh, in your post, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3. All right? Lots to talk about today. Here we go. First Kings chapter 12. 
Now, Rehoboam made a tremendous mistake, as I said last week, in that he rejected the people in the north. He rejected them, and he was going to go his own way and make things worse for them. He was going to burden them even greater. And so they bolted, and he took the southern kingdom. And so we see in verse 21, where when Rehoboam of chapter 12 arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered the whole house of Judah, remember the name Judah, and the tribe of Benjamin. So we had the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And we're going to call this Judah. So Judah, Benjamin, those are the two tribes that are going to stay with them. The other 10 tribes will go to the north. 180,000 fighting men to make war against the house of Israel. Remember, Israel's the northern kingdom. To regain the kingdom from for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. So he's going to try to go back and regain the 10 tribes so he can be king of all 12. Okay? But this, the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to the whole house of Judah and to Benjamin and the rest of your people. This is what the Lord says. Do not go up and fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and they went home as the Lord had ordered. Do not go up and fight against them. Come home, go home, every one of you. This is my doing. They obeyed the Lord. Okay? I don't want you fighting him, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not bringing you back together. So we have golden calves at the end of chapter 12. At the end of chapter 12 of 1 Kings. And unfortunately, uh, they set up one in Bethel in 29, and the others in Dan, and this thing became a sin, and they messed up. To give you a simple, succinct answer, all the kings in the northern kingdom sinned against God and did not do what he says. There were a couple of kings in the southern kingdom that did the right thing, but most of them did not. Okay? 1 Kings chapter 13, the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel. As Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering, he cried out, against the altar by the word of the Lord. Oh, altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here, and human bones will be burned to you, on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is a sign that the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, this is chapter 13, verse 4, he stretched out his hand and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so he could not pull it back. Isn't that amazing? Also, the altar was split apart and the ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. All right, there you have it. And first, just enjoy uh, chapter 13. God's doing some amazing things. Now remember... God is actively involved in this process as we work through 1 Kings and 2 Kings. God is actively there. He is an active participant. And you cannot go against him because he's a lot stronger than you are. Go to 1 Kings 16, which we find on Tuesday. Again, 14 and 15 if you want to read. 23 to 34. 23 to 34. Now we're talking about Omri, king of Israel. And then we have 
Ahab, king of Israel. Now, Ahab is a very significant figure uh, as kings go. He married Jezebel. You ever heard of her? Infamous woman. One of the most famous women, nefarious, sinful, ungodly women of all time. All right, you can read those texts right there. Uh, These people are not doing what God is saying. He sets up an altar in verse 32 in the temple of Baal. Uh, Ahab in verse 33 also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. Bad guy. Now, I love the beginning of 17. Elijah. Now we're going to see Elijah and then we're going to see Elisha. Okay? Elijah and Elisha. And here is the wonderful story about Elijah fed by ravens. You will drink from the brook, verse 4, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you. He is a very, very powerful, what we call an oral prophet. He is not a written prophet. He did not write uh, Isaiah as a written prophet. Ezekiel is a written prophet. Zephaniah is a written, written prophet. Malachi, Zechariah, Hosea, Isaiah, etc. He's an oral prophet. Very, very, very powerful man. Now, there's a great story from the widow at Zarephath and how uh, in this, it's way too long for me to go through with you today. But uh, please enjoy reading that. I loved it greatly. Uh, There is a miraculous healing that Elijah does uh, that we see in verse 21. Uh, God uh, is very active in his life. And I love verse 24. The woman said to Elijah, if you read the whole thing, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of God from your mouth is the truth. So we ha- sometimes we have to look at what people are doing and the way that they respond and what they're saying and what their actions are, as I talked last week about James, okay, the book of James in chapter 3. Uh, chapter 2, uh, faith without works is dead, or the second half of chapter 2. Third chapter is about the tongue, by what we say, by the way we act, okay? So she sees the way that Elijah is acting and she's now convinced that he is a very powerful person and that when he speaks, he's speaking the word of God. The 18th chapter uh, is a very, very, very famous chapter. The Elijah on Mount Carmel dealing with the Baals uh, in a fantastic example of the power of God, of Elijah's trust in God. Um, And the fact, as he says in verse 18, you have abandoned the Lord's commands, you have followed the Baals. Uh, And he um, challenges uh, people by saying, if the Lord is God, follow him. Is Baal is God, follow him. Um, And Elijah says this before the people in chapter uh, 18, verse 21. How long will you waver between the two opinions? And that's a great question to ask today. Are you going to follow the Lord or are you going to follow a false God? Are you going to follow a false God that might be yourself are you going to follow a false god that's out there that is in the pantheon of false gods? Or are you going to follow the true God, the true Lord? And so this, the people said nothing, verse 21, the last verse, end of 21. Nothing. They didn't respond. And so we have this meeting, this incredible tete-a-tete where God answers by fire. And again, I want you to enjoy that extraordinary experience of the power of God through the work of Elijah. Unfortunately, at the end of that, Elijah gets very afraid of Jezebel. Remember I mentioned Jezebel to you. Uh, Jezebel is a very powerful person 
and a very feared woman, a very dangerous woman. And so in verse 3 of chapter 19, he runs for his life. Even though he had this fantastic, fantastic miracle that was done, one of the great miracles of all time that's been written down, but he is still scared. And he travels 40 days and he travels 40 nights until he reaches Horeb, the mountain of God, in verse 8. He goes into a cave and he spends the night. And I'll pick up on that next time. So stay tuned. But you can read ahead if you can't help yourself. It's a beautiful story. So Elijah, this great prophet, this great oral prophet, does this great miracle. And he's all excited. And God vindicates himself. And God shows his power. And then he gets scared because of what somebody's going to do to them. Do you see how frail we are? Do you see how hard it is to follow the Lord at all times, even when he does something great for us? Be thinking about that as you're reading. So we have the dissolution of the monarchy from Solomon to the split of the kingdom, 10 and 2. And then we have Elijah, the oral prophet, coming into the four um, of First Kings in chapter 17, chapter 18, to the end of the chapter, uh, to the end of the book, I should say. And these great things that God is doing, along with what the kings of the north are doing and the kings of the south. So it is history in its grandest way. It is true And then you have God Almighty, the creator of the universe, speaking into this history. So it is a great way to learn, and there are some great lessons in life that you can learn. Philippians. Now, Philippians is a fantastic book of the Bible. It was written by um, Paul the Apostle, who wrote 13 letters. And Philippians is just, it's just, it's tremendous. And so... Uh, enjoy reading the four chapters. Uh, I want to just kind of gloss over some key verses with you before we finish up with Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and the beginning of Matthew. Now, he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which I pray is true of all of us, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion into the day of Christ Jesus. That God, who began a great work in us, will complete it on the day of Jesus. Okay. Jesus, we are going to meet Jesus in one of two ways. Either when he comes back again, which might happen before we die, or at our death. Okay. It's more probable that you'll meet Jesus when you die than in the second coming. But it could happen that Jesus would come before we pass away. This is my prayer, verse 9, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I pray this for all of us. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless into the day of Christ. It's a high calling, folks. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. A lot to think about. Great scripture, great prayer, great thing to think about. Paul is in chains as he's writing Philippians and he's dealing with uh, being in jail and helping the Philippians at the same time, writing this to them, writing and sharing his concerns, sharing his theology, sharing how we should live. I love verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. It is better for me to be dead, Paul is in fact saying. But, you know, as he says later on in chapter 1, if God wants me to be alive, so that I can serve you and others, that I, of course, will do that. But if I had my way, I'd rather just 
God take me now so I can be in Christ, with Christ, because being with Christ without sin is, being, is, is easier than being here and suffering and being in jail. But he said, I will do what God tells me to do regardless. If he wants me to be here and wants me to continue to minister, I will do that. It's a great way to think about it. Enjoy chapter 1. In chapter 2, we have a very important uh, scripture, the hymn of Christ. Your attitude should be the same as Christ in chapter 2, verse 5. And those first four verses are tremendous. I mean, you know, just as you read those first four verses, just think about this is the way we should all live. And he says this about Jesus, who being in very nature God, verse 6, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, and humbled himself, and became obedient to death, death on a cross. Remember we talked about that last week uh, from Mark, that he, in, in chapter 15, Jesus is, dies on a cross. But God exalted him, therefore God exalted him to, ev- to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does that mean? That means that every single person that's ever lived is going to stand before Jesus Christ and be judged. And they will bow down to him. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be saved. That just means they're going to recognize him as he is. Hopefully, they will be saved so that they will go to heaven. We, I don't want anybody to go to hell. But you will, you will glorify the Lord. You see what this says? God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. Jesus is at the highest place that any person can be. And he is the ultimate judge. Remember I talked about him coming again? He is the one that's going to come again and we are going to stand before him. Okay. So what Paul is telling us in Philippians keep this in mind, is that we're going to stand before Christ. You want to be ready. You want to be doing the things that God wants you to be doing. We talked about that last week in James again. How you live your life, what you're doing. Faith without works is dead. You know, you want to have faith in Christ, but you want to live accordingly. And we just read a couple of those great scriptures in Philippians chapter 1, 9, 10, and 11. All right. Verse 12, therefore, my friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Work out your salvation, but God is working in you. So you this amazing relationship between God working in you and to act according to his purpose and that you and I are working your salvation with fear and trembling, not nonchalantly, not in a passive way, not when you feel like it, not when you get around to it. Not when you want to. Fear and trembling. You're, you're serious. You're serious about your relationship with God. Okay, and That's a great question to ask all of us. How serious are you? God is going to work in you to will and act according to his purpose. And then he goes in again. Another beautiful teaching about how we should live. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now how hard is that to do? Very hard. So that you may become blameless and pure, children without God. And he goes on and on and on and on. Let's go to the third chapter. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Well, he's sitting there in prison and he's rejoicing in the Lord. Incredible. It's no trouble to write you the same things and it's a safeguard to you. Then he tells us to watch out for people that are dangerous in verse 3. And then he says, If anybody has any confidence in the flesh and my natural self, I do. 
I was circumcised on the eighth day, verse 5 of chapter 3, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the best of the very best, but yet that means nothing compared to the surpassing greatness, verse 8, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, and I may gain Christ and be found in him. I have all the marks that anybody could have of being righteous and godly and in right standing with God. But I was doing it according to my flesh. I put my confidence in myself, not in God. And it's worthless. It's worthless. What is of value, he says, is knowing Christ and having a righteousness that does not come that's not my righteousness, he says, but that which is through faith in Christ, verse 9, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So now we're talking about faith. Last week we talked about works from James, chapter 2. Now we're talking about faith in Christ. He said that's what the key is. I had faith in myself, and I accomplished so many things outstandingly. I was the best of the best, but it was worthless because it was all in myself. Paul says, I press on, verse 14, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In the big picture of life, in the big picture of what's going on, Paul is seeing what's truly important. Although he had been the greatest of the great in his own religion, in Judaism, it was straw compared to knowing Christ, who he did not know in that life, and who he persecuted violently. Those people that knew Christ. This is why his road to the Damascus experience in Acts chapter 9 is so crucial, critical. All of us who mature should take a view of these things in verse 15. This is a fantastic scripture. Read these very slowly. And finally, in, uh, for uh, Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, chapter 4, verse 4. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Beautiful scripture. Look at those. There's so much in Philippians. And of course, what we're trying to do is just kind of walk through it with you fairly quickly. When you read it during the week, enjoy, take time, pray, hear what God's saying, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you about this text beautiful text. If you've never read it before, I think you're going to enjoy it very much. And if you've read it before, you're going to continue to enjoy it. It's inexhaustible in its wisdom. Mark 15. Remember when we left Jesus? He was in serious trouble. In fact, he was dead. 15 verse 40, as you see in your post. Now we're going to bury him. And he was buried. And they saw where he was laid. It was in a new tomb, wrapped in linen, placed out of a tomb, cut out of the rock. In verse 46, they rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. If you look at Matthew, they had a guard posted. He's dead. Nobody's going to come get him. But on Sunday morning, <clears throat> when the Sabbath was over in, verse six, in chapter 16, they have a situation, verses 1 through 8, where they were going to anoint him and bring some more spices because they didn't get to do it because it was a Sabbath and they needed to hurry. And so the ladies went, no men, and to anoint Jesus' body. It was very early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And who's going to roll the stone away? We can't roll it away. It's too big. But guess what happened? It had been rolled away. The angel rolled it away. 
and there's a young man dressed in a white robe. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. He's risen from the dead. That's what he said three times that he was going to do. See the place where they laid him. Trembling and bewildered, verse 8, the women fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And then we have the second half, verse 9 to uh, 20, 9 through 20, which is in, uh, in your post. It's in parentheses. So in chapter 16, we have the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Death could not hold him. It was God's will that he be raised from the dead. God raised him from the dead for the pow- by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is now going to appear, as we see in Acts chapter 1 and the end of Luke chapter 24. Jesus is going to appear for 40 days and 40 nights before he ascends into heaven. Beautiful scripture. Well, look at your post. Matthew 2, the beginning. The beginning. Now, if you want to look at the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, please do that. If you've never never read that before or you'd like to acquaint yourself with it, verses 18, we have the genealogy which goes back to Abraham in 1 through 17. But in 18 to 25, we have the birth of Jesus. And then in chapter 2, we have the visit of the Magi. You've heard of the Magi. Herod was extremely upset that this king was alive and he was going to kill Jesus. And um, the Magi come along and offer him gold, silver, uh, frankincense, and myrrh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they were going to uh, worship. They went to worship him. They saw the star. The star stopped over Bethlehem. They went and worshiped the child. Uh, One of the great uh, stories that we celebrate in Epiphany, the coming of the Magi to see Jesus Christ. Now, remember, we had the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. We have the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. Now, they needed to escape. Uh, And so in the middle of chapter 2, they escaped and went to Egypt. And then they returned uh, at the end of chapter 2. Now, Joseph, uh, if you look at chapter 1, I've referred to it earlier in 18 to 25, you'll see that uh, Joseph had a serious conundrum because his wife was pregnant and they had not come together in marriage. So the Holy Spirit showed him, Joseph, in a dream what had happened. And so Joseph was listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Lord spoke to him in dreams and directed him as to what he should do. And, of course, that's what he did. In chapter 3, we now advance almost 30 years later, and we see his cousin, remember, his cousin John in Luke 1 and Luke 2. His cousin John is born six months older, and he begins the ministry before Jesus begins and baptizes him at the end of chapter 3. So John the Baptist announces the coming of the Lord. He prepares the people for the coming of the Lord and says how great he is and to look for him. And then when Jesus comes in chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, Jordan River, to be baptized by John. And he is baptized by John. And then, as we'll see next time, proper 19, we'll begin Jesus' ministry. Okay, after the temptations in the wilderness. All right, there's a lot to process this week. There's, there's a tr- just a tremendous amount uh, in the readings. A beautiful book, Philippians. I've made reference to 1 Kings um, 
and the transition of the kingdom from Solomon to the breakup of the kingdom, and now the death of Christ uh, in uh, Mark, the, res- the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, thanks be to God, and then Jesus' birth in chapter 1, the second half of chapter 1. In chapter 2, the Magi come and visit him. He goes into Egypt to protect himself from Herod's extraordinary, uh, horrible act of violence against young children. And then they return uh, to Nazareth, with Nazareth, where Jesus grows up uh, after Herod dies. The ministry begins about the age of 30. His cousin, John the Baptist, anoints him um, and um, baptizes him, and so his ministry begins. Whew! Okay. Pray, enjoy, relish, listen to God, listen to the Holy Spirit, enjoy the scriptures, and we'll have so much fun next time in Proper 19. God bless you, and have a wonderful week of learning and listening to the Lord.